0: You're, you're, you're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network.
1: Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. No, I know. Was he any good? I
0: said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Eric Coleman.
1: Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network. Mr. Eric Coleman, how are we doing today?
0: Doing great. Doing great. Um, You know, just enjoying this wonderful weekend, Uh, the last weekend before the NFL kicks off. So uh, enjoying that downtime with the family, trying to prepare uh, mentally for this, this marathon of a season that's about to begin
1: and you have a busy schedule next week what are you uh, planning to do
0: next week well next week and every weekend during the nfl season i'm going to be hosting um you know several shows you know one for Sirius xm nfl radio my third year in a row doing the sunday kickoff um i'll be hosting pre-game shows postgame shows um everything jets you know i'll, I'll be hosting so uh, very blessed and excited to continue what i've been doing the last couple of years and and bring the viewers and, and listeners some some insight on the jets and the nfl
1: well i have a lot of respect for you for everything that you're doing not only for the nfl but for your career after the nfl uh, you're amazing man you become a great radio show host an analyst a good partner and a great family man so i respect you more than i've ever known you moving forward as as radio show hosts together
0: Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. We have a great show lined up for you guys today. We're going to talk about Tom Seaver. I believe he's one of the greatest pitchers of all time. He passed away over the week. We're going to get into the NHL. We're going to talk about the Islanders. Game number seven. Up 3-1 against the pesky Philadelphia Flyers and all of a sudden uh, have fallen off. Uh, Vlamov has not been the same player. We're going to get into that in a little bit. Uh, And we're also going to get into the NBA and we're going to get into the NFL season. We're going to go over the AFC East and and throughout the AFC and where we think uh, some of these teams are contenders or pretenders, but I do want to get into Tom Seaver first. Tom Seaver to me is one of the greatest pitchers of all time. I really never got a chance to see Tom Seaver. I wasn't old enough to see Tom Seaver before he retired. When you think of Tom Seaver, you think of power pitching. He has really changed the aspects of what Power pitching was. When you talk about Nolan Ryan and what Nolan Ryan did uh, for the Texas Rangers, he was a part of that 1969 New York Mets team, but he was really an afterthought of the greatness of what Tom Seaver was. And what Tom Seaver has delivered as a professional baseball player and even off the field was aggressiveness and the will to win. And everybody's going to talk about Tom Seaver in his past because – The New York Mets should have kept him. He should have been a New York Met his whole career. The Mets, at the mid-hash of his career, they decided to trade him to Cincinnati, and it really changed the outlook of the New York Mets organization. But Tom Seaver... Being that he had 311 wins, 205 losses, a 2.86 ERA, I would, if, if you would put him in the upper echelon of, of great pitchers of all time, I would put him in my top five. And I know a lot of people don't like Roger Clemens. Roger Clemens is up there, too. He really redefined pitching in the 80s and the early 90s. But what we saw in the mid-60s and late-60s and early-70s Tom Seaver dominated the game. He took the New York Mets to a team, an expansion team that nobody even gave a crap about. And then all of a sudden it took them where 1969, nobody thought the New York Mets had any chance of winning a World Series. And he was a huge, huge part on why they were World Series champions.
0: Absolutely. You know, you you talk about Tom Seaver and just like you, you know, I, I was a little too young. To, to be able to watch his career into over the same age, but yeah, but, but but I mean, you know, me being on the West Coast, I definitely didn't see yeah. uh, the Mets. But you know, he is from Fresno, right down the street from where I was born in Sacramento. And just looking at his career achievements, I mean, twelve time All Star, World Series World Series champion, three time uh, NL Cy Young winner, NL Rookie of the Year. I mean, the list goes on and on. I can keep reading all show, but just you know, one of the all time greats, and you know, it's uh, it's sad to see him go. But uh, he definitely left his stamp on the
1: game and and on New York. He also left his stamp off the field. He created a winery with him and his wife out in California. It's still one of the most known, one of the most respectable wineries in California. If you ever have the chance to go to California and you want to visit, you want to visit, a winery, that's the place you want to visit. And especially to see what he was doing on and off the field. And and he's had, uh, over the last couple of years, he's had problems with Alzheimer's and he, he loss of memory. And it eventually was going to catch up to him and eventually take his life. So when you when you think of somebody like Tom Seaver, you compare him to the Nolan Ryans, the, the Burt Blylevins, Lefty Grove. These are some of the greatest pitchers of all time. Roger Clemens, Greg Maddox. Greg Maddox will tell you one of the greatest pitchers he's ever seen when he was a young man was Tom Seaver. He revolutionized the power pitching game. If you ever watch old games from the 50s and the 60s, which if you have the opportunity to watch the MLB Network, they do play some of those games. You get the opportunity to watch some of these older pitchers, some of the greatest pitchers of all time. They wouldn't throw over 70, 80 miles per hour. Tom Seaver really revolutionized the game. He was one of the first pitchers to throw close to 90 miles per hour and really transitioned the game, the power pitcher and the finesse of what he threw. He had one of the best curveballs of all time as well. So he He changed the game and the pitching and the aspect. Every single century, every single decade, you see a pitcher that really stood out. In the 60s and the 70s, it was Tom Seaver. In the 80s, Roger Clemens really revolutionized their starting pitching, the power pitching. And then the 90s, you have Randy Johnson, the Pedro Martinez's in the, the late 90s, early 2000s. And the dominance of what pitching does to baseball. And now you see... You can't win championships without top pitching. In those days, it really transitioned from top hitting, top lineups, to top rotations. And Tom Seaver pitched nine innings, full games. Pitchers now pitch no longer than five or six innings. Tom Seaver was pitching nine innings to eight innings. If you look at the innings pitched of Tom Seaver, Tom Seaver has pitched more innings than probably... 90% of the starting pitchers in today's game. That's crazy to think when you look at the game and the transition of the game. The bullpens were not very popular in the 60s and 70s. There really was no bullpens in the 60s and 70s. So you, you had to pitch eight or nine innings. So he kind of revolutionized the game in the starting pitcher. And it's just a sad situation. And the Mets should have done this a long time ago put up a statue in front of Citi Field of Tom Seaver. He is the greatest man of all time. It's not even an argument. It's not even a question. He was the face of the New York Mets. We've seen Mike Piazza in the 2000s, came to the Mets from the Dodgers, and became the face of the New York Mets. And then even David Wright. The three guys that I believe of all time, when you want to try to persistently look from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, and today, I would put... Tom Seaver, Mike Piazza, and then David Wright. Guys that were big parts of where the Mets are today. Now, are they a championship competitive team right now? They're not. But Tom Seaver, he really changed the game. And unfortunately, a lot of us young guys, me and you, Eric, being 38 years old and a little wet behind the ears, we never got a chance to see this guy pitch and change the game. I saw Nolan Ryan pitch. I saw him in the eighties and the nineties, the, the, the no-hitters. I saw what Nolan Ryan could do. Nolan Ryan was a young player when Tom Seaver was in his his late twenties, 20s, mid-20s when they won the when they won the World Series in 1969. Nolan Ryan was like 19, 20 years old. So I, I got the chance to see Tom, uh, Nolan Ryan. I never got a chance to see Tom Seaver. So it's a sad situation. And unfortunately, um, moving forward as a, a baseball fan. And and getting the opportunity to get the chance to read about this guy, it's it's crazy to think when when you look at some of the greatest pitchers of all time, nobody nobody really uh, some of the young guys, no nobody really understands who Tom Seaver was and what he did for baseball. So. Um, a shout-out to him and his family, Tom Seaver and his family, Seaver family, on the loss of uh, their father. Uh, one of the greatest pitchers of all time. One of the greatest Mets of all time. One of the greatest uh, ambassadors of pitching of all time in Tom Seaver. Uh, um, it's, it's crazy, man. So many deaths, man. You were talking about uh, the actor from Bla- Black Panther last week pa- passing away. Chadwick Boseman. Yep. Yeah, uh, from colon cancer. I, I, was, I was always told as, as a kid, Eric, that... People die in threes. I've I've learned that you know from my mother. My mom, my, my mom's an Italian woman, as she always told me. Uh, when when somebody dies in the world that you hear, they usually dies die in three. And it's crazy when you when you talk about some of the some of the TV shows that you watch and and you still watch on TV. Half of these people are not even alive. That's the crazy thing. When I'm watching uh, different shows from the '70s and the '60s, and John Ritter, he died from. Uh, a hard problem. He died right on set when he was doing his uh, the John Ritter show. I, and and I knew John Ritter. I followed him. I watched him when I was a kid. I watched some of the movies. I was a big John Ritter fan. But a lot of people won't know who John Ritter is because he died at such a young age. I think John Ritter died in his 50s. So, I, unfortunately, when, when you see some of these great uh, actors and actresses and movie stars and uh, singers and... And, and, and athletes die at such young ages. Oh, Cliff Cliff Robertson died last week. That was another one we talked about last week. So we were talking about people that die in threes. Well, you got Cliff Robertson. We have the Black Panther actor. And then we have Tom Seaver. That's three in one week. So it, it's incredible. It's crazy, but... Uh, if, if anybody doesn't know who Tom Seaver is, just go look at his statistics and look what he did for the New York Mets organization. 1969, the Mets had no shot. Nobody even thought that the Mets were going to be uh, World Series champions and, and really because of that pitching staff. And Tom Seaver wasn't even the best pitcher in the playoffs on that staff, but he was a big part of why they made the playoffs and they went as far as they did and won the World Series in 1969. So it, it's, a sad, it's a sad time for New York fans, New York Mets fans, but there's a great it's a great time for Mets fans because the Mets, they're going to have a new owner. The so Ponds are in negotiations with Steve Cohen. I believe by the end of September, uh, the New York Mets organization will have a new owner. Alex Rodriguez came out with some interesting things, not only to the press. He was really upset that there was not even a chance that his group was going to get the opportunity to own the New York Mets. Steve Cohen really took over the negotiations because Steve Cohen's is he's worth fifteen billion dollars. He's he's going to be the richest owner in the MLB. It's not even going to be an argument to that. And we knew from the beginning, Steve Cohen wanted to own the team. The Mets didn't want to give him full autonomy, full control of the team for five years. And then with all their woes and all their problems right now, as far as money is concerned with the Madoff situation, they had to sell their pride possession. And really what's going on with the brothers and the family right now. And the cousins, they need to get rid of the team and they need to get out of their woes of owing people. So unfortunately, A-Rod did not get what he wanted, and he thought he was going to own the team. He thought he was going to take control of the team. And uh, Steve Cohen just swooped right in and said, no, 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 it's my team. And if you're a Met fan, and I know you're a Met fan, Eric, I believe that bringing Steve Cohen in is not only going to benefit the Mets, it's going to help the Mets moving forward in free agency.
0: Well, absolutely. You know, you talk about ownership and everything starting at the top. You know, bringing in a quality owner, who's willing to open up the checkbook and and make those decisions to help the organization move forward is going to be a a huge help for this franchise moving forward. So I'm excited, you know, as a Mets fan, I love the change in ownership. I think that Mr. Cohen is going to do an exceptional job of bringing in talent. And I'm really excited for the future of the New York Mets.
1: Well, you should be, you're a Mets fan. (laughs) Even though you picked the Yankees to go to the world series and win it all, they don't look really good. They don't really look good, man.
0: Well, they're not looking good now, but <laughs> if you look on paper, they were paper champs when this thing started, <laughs> and it made all the sense in the world, but I'm going to keep it realist. I know you, know, you I'm are. I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to root for the Mets. I'm going to root for the Jets. I'm going to root for you know my teams that I, that I love and support, but at the end of the day, you got to keep it real.
1: When we come back ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into the Yankees woes and where do the Yankees go right now? What is going on with Aaron Judge? What is going on with Giancarlo Stanton? Are they going to get healthy enough when the playoffs come around where they're going to compete and contend for a World Series championship? We will get into that when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by the New York Sports Team Magazine and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's me and the great Eric Coleman. And I'll tell you this. There's so many crazy things going on in Long Island. And the roads are completely packed, Eric. I know school's about to start, everybody's going back to school, but COVID-19 is still around. I don't understand why people and the governor and the senators are allowing kids to go back to school. With Everybody knows the backlash that this could bring here in Long Island. If COVID-19 comes back strong... I don't understand why so many people are right now shopping. The roads are completely packed. I have no place to move. And all these old people, a lot of people are sick. They're trying to get to their doctors now. All the doctor's offices are open. It's crazy right now here on Long Island. And you're over there in Florida.
0: And I'm on the opposite side of, of your viewpoint. You know, my kids started school. I'm excited that they're in school. They're in class. I think they need to to get some of that socialization and and uh, I think we need to get on with it. I'm not a doctor, like I've I've always preached, <laughs> but but these numbers are are going down. It is what it is, and I think that we need to get on with life and get back to normal living.
1: I do believe there will be a vaccine that's going to be coming out in the next couple of months and hopefully it will change everything. We'll get back to our normal lives where we can move forward. That's the most important thing. We
0: don't thing. need a vaccine, man. Everybody everybody's getting better uh, <laughs> as it is. I don't need a vaccine. <laughs> now you don't want a I'm vaccine? we each other up with all these drugs. Oh, man. come
1: on, Eric. They I didn't mean, have vaccines
0: back in oh, the day. We don't need God, it. Man.
1: It's going to help us and, and we can move forward. We don't have to worry about catching this again because this is going to be around forever with the flu. You saw that. They came out with a vaccine does it really stop the flu no nope. 90,000 people die every single year from the flu so you're absolutely right would you take the shot probably not a lot of young people won't take the shot but the older people uh the 60s the 70 year old people that are dying from this they should take the shot and hopefully absolutely. with this vaccine coming out it will change everything we can move forward to our normal lives but i don't know what's going on with the yankees now the injuries are piling up. And we've seen this for the last two years and somehow the Yankees get out of it. They still play good baseball and they squeak into the playoffs. They win their division or they come in second place. This year it's going to be a little bit different because there are teams right now in their division that are just as good or even better than them. Tampa Bay is playing great baseball right now. I believe they're the best team in baseball. Great pitching staff, great bullpen, and their lineup is stacked. Aaron Judge can't stay healthy. This is a guy that's going to want between 190 to $250 million in the next year or two, and the guy can't stay on the field. John Colo Stanton is uh, making—he has a $300 million contract. The Yankees brought him in on a trade. They practically gave up nothing. Everybody thought it was a steal, but the guy can't stay on the field. He's always getting hurt. His elbow, his arm, his lip, his ears. I don't know what's next. Maybe his back. This guy can't stay on the damn field. And we're looking at Glaber Torres. Glaber Torres has taken a step back. Garrett Cole, who they paid a lot of money to, his ERA is 3.83. This was one of the best pitchers in baseball last year with the Houston Astros. Now all of a sudden he goes to the Yankees and there's no crowds. I don't want to hear about the Yankee fans. I'm so sick and tired. Oh, I don't know if he can handle New York. You don't have to handle New York. There's nobody in the crowd. You have a 3.83 ERA. To me that's a big problem where you look at the Yankees, you look at their rotation and their bullpen. They didn't make any moves at the trade deadline. I understand what Brian Cashman is trying to do. He believes that the team is going to get healthy. They're going to figure things out and they're going to find a way to get into the playoffs and they're going to be a dangerous team. Sick 16 teams, Eric, make the playoffs this year. You're going to have to go through more than three rounds to go to the World Series. To me, that's a huge problem for the New York Yankees. Well, I disagree. I think that it's going to help them. You know, listen, they're not playing
0: their best baseball right now. I think that they do need to get healthy. And once they get healthy, they'll hit their full stride. And what better time to hit your full stride than when you're in the playoffs? Once you, all it takes is you getting into the tournament and and things can turn around. So, um, you know, with these playoffs being expanded, I think that works to, it works to the advantage of teams like the Yankees that are, that are injured, they're nicked up. And, um, and, and listen, I I had a question for you. Hit me. Do you think that all these injuries that these players are going through have anything to do with COVID and, and having things shut down and started back up and, uh, you know, has it thrown off their timing and are, are their bodies responding differently than, you know, to, to, to this transition with COVID?
1: I do, and a lot of people throw Gary Sanchez under the bus. If you look at Gary Sanchez as a player, it took a long time last year for Gary Sanchez to find his swing. Then he found his swing, and then he fell off again, and then he found his swing at the end of the season. Everybody's taking shots at Gary Sanchez because they want to get rid of him. They think that there should be another catcher. Gary Sanchez is one of the best catchers in baseball. There's only one catcher that I would take over him right now, and that's JT Real Muto. So again, when you look at JT Unless the Yankees are going to try to make a move for him next year and bring him into uh, as a free agent, I don't know if talking about and trying to move Gary Sanchez is going to change anything. Do I believe COVID-19 is the reason why these players are getting hurt? Gary Sanchez has always been hurt. Aaron Judge, in the last three years, every single year gets hurt. He had an oblique injury last year. He was out for almost two months. John Carlos Sand, ever since he came to the Yankees, he's been with the Yankees for three years now. The guy can't stay on the field. The most games he's played in a season for the Yankees, I think, was 100. That's not good when you're paying this guy over $30 million a year, and the guy can't put his bat in the lineup. So it's a huge problem for the Yankees. I know a lot of Yankee fans are really going off the wall they think that the Yankees are not going to make the playoffs the Yankees are going to make the playoffs. they're definitely one of the top 16 teams in baseball the only problem with the Yankees that worries me is this pitching staff being that there's 60 games in a season are they going to be able to go into the playoffs being that there's not 162 games where you're going to have the opportunity to pitch 30 games and try to get your feel of the ball James Paxton last year it took him a while to figure things out the first couple of games of the season. I think his first five or six games last year, I think he was 2-6 and six before he figured things out, and then he won like nine games in a row and completely dominated. And James Paxson was one of the best pitchers in the American League in the second half of the season last year. So again, it takes a while for pitchers to figure things out, find the seams, and understand how they're going to throw the pitchers, where they're going to attack the hitters. I do believe it, it hurts the pitchers. I don't think it hurts the players. I don't think it hurts their lineup. And unfortunately, the Yankees, besides Luke Voigt, nobody is hitting in that lineup. And that's a huge, huge problem moving forward when the Yankees with their stacked lineup where everybody says, oh my god, they have one of the best lineups in baseball and one of the best benches in baseball. Every single person that gets into that batter's box is not hitting. And that's a huge, huge problem especially in the American League East when Tampa is just running away with the division. They're 27-12 and and they're completely dominating. You can be as good
0: as you want to in the regular season. You better be playing good baseball once you hit the tournament. And that's what I think that if you're a Yankees fan, you have to focus on is listen. Can we get this team back to normal? Can we get everybody healthy before this tournament? Yes, yes. There's going to be you know some some getting used to to playing. Aaron Judge has been out. John uh, Carlos Stanton has been out. But once these guys are healthy, hopefully that they get into full swing right in the right when the when the playoffs begin you know if they can get a couple of warm up games and and advance to the next round maybe that is the 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 spark that ignites this team and we all know that they have enough talent when they're playing at the top of their game to beat anyone I don't care if you're Tampa Bay I don't care who you are if the Yankees are healthy they're playing good ball I mean the Major League Baseball better watch out.
1: Well, if you look at the Yankees right now, you have Tampa that's 27 and 12, the Yankees are 21 and 17. Toronto right now is the same record as the New York Yankees. They're a young team, they're talented, they made some moves at the trade deadline, bringing in Rob Ray, and really The Chicago White Sox, where me and Speedy have been talking about them being the up-and-coming team right now in the American League, they're 24-15. and They've won seven games out of their last ten games. They're completely down. Cleveland's playing good baseball after all the the losses that they had at the trade deadline last year. Minnesota's 24-16. and And then you have Oakland, Houston, all these teams. The Yankees right now in the American League East, I mean in the American League, is probably 7th, Or sixth out of all those teams, and they're on the borderline, the cusp of making the playoffs. That's a bad sign when you think of all the talent that they have and all the money they invested in some of these players, Eric. So, well, yeah,
0: I mean, but it's a small amount of games. I mean, you you look at you know winning fifteen games or losing fifteen games to twelve games, you know, putting you from seven to two, you know, that's that's not really that big a deal in my eyes. You know, you think about the major league baseball season. uh, Typically, it's one hundred and sixty-two games. You break it down to sixty. There's going to be some disparity you know there's going to teams go on runs during those long seasons and you're not going to get those runs uh, with 60 games so that's what that's why
1: I'm not really concerned about what's going on right now and then there's the New York Mets and Mr. Brody Van Wagening now i look at the Mets right now they're an organization that's in a state of flux because They don't know who's the next owner. And we know it's going to be Steve Cohen. He's right now negotiating a deal, and I think that's great for the New York Mets fans moving forward, especially with the season at loss. I don't think the Mets are going to be a playoff team. I did in the beginning of the season because I thought the lineup was going to hold up. Pete Alonso has not been the same player he was in his first year. I think his sophomore woes are definitely something that we're going to have to look forward to in next year, in his junior year, and see what he can do as a power hitter. But all in all, this lineup is not hitting and it's a huge problem, and they're not pitching. They expect Jacob deGrom to do everything for this team, and their starting pitching staff has been woeful at best. And Noah Syndergaard, I understand he's not with the pitching staff right now. I understand that Marcus Stroman decided to sit out this year because he doesn't want to be a Met, and he doesn't want to get COVID-19. We all know the situation with the New York Mets in their organization and how many, how many times we talk about the Wilpons and how they're just an organization that don't like to spend money. But to me, Brody Van Wagenen has been terrible as a GM and if Steve Cohen does take over the team before next year, I think Brody Van Wagenen is going to be a new agent for his organization because he's no longer going to be the GM of the New York Mets. This team has been terrible. Uh, their bullpen, no, uh, we look at Patantis, their, their big acquisition, paid $13 million in the offseason. I told Mets fans, don't be so surprised tearing his Achilles. He's not going to be the same pitcher because it was on his landing foot. And you're seeing it right now. He's not the same pitcher. And, I, I was very surprised when you when you look at Diaz. I thought Edwin Diaz was was going to play better this year, especially his second full season with the New York Mets. He's looked terrible, and this bullpen. Say whatever you want, and Speedy. I want you to get involved with this. When you you're a Met fan, and I want to know your thoughts. where the Mets are and where you think the Mets are going to be moving forward this season.
2: You have to hope that free agents could work out because it seems like everybody they bring in is a jinx for whatever reason, especially in the bullpen. These are not bad relief pitchers on paper. Probably on a lot of other teams, that's one of the best bullpens in the league, but the Mets have always had problems with the relief pitchers, whether it's managing them, whether it's the pressure in New York, like you were saying with the Yankees, and maybe just not being used right, or maybe just, again, just having trouble season to season. The Mets always bring them in at the right points, and then they, they struggle when they get there, so that's going to be something that hopefully Steve Cohen can change with him there. I don't think they're a playoff team either at this point. I think it's it's going to be hard. I mean, it's still possible, but it's going to be hard with the Phillies getting hot now. I think they've won like eight of their last. 10 games or something like that. Joe Girardi. And the Braves are still the Braves. They're the second best team in the National League talent-wise. And I don't think the Central teams will play that bad forever either.
1: (laughs) And you were just talking about the Atlanta Braves. The Chicago Cubs are a good team. They play good baseball. The L.A. Dodgers have been unstoppable. And the San Diego Padres have been ridiculous. You were talking about your boy Tatis over there. This team is hitting the ball. Tatis right now, if the season were to end, he would be the MVP of the National League. Everything that we we heard about him in the off season and how great of a player he was, why the Padres didn't want to trade him when they were talking about moving him for Noah Syndergaard. We see why they didn't move him. He's been phenomenal. And Milwaukee is going to figure things out too. They're not playing good baseball right now, but they're a very good team. I think they're going to be a dangerous team moving forward. And there's still about 35, 36 games left. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing what these National League teams are going to do. I, I do believe that we all know what's going to happen. We know Atlanta's going to make it. We know Philadelphia. I'm very surprised that, that the World Series champions, the Nationals with that pitching staff, is not anywhere close to making the playoffs. They're 13-24. and 24. They took a Way step back from what they did last year. I'm very surprised. And again, we're going to be talking about this next year is Martinez going to keep his job if this team keeps it up? I don't know if he is, even though they won the World Series. I don't
2: think you could judge that on this kind of season though.
1: (laughs) I don't know, man. Being that you're the World Series champions and you practically have every single player coming back except Rendon and maybe another player, this is still the same team that won the World Series last year. And with that pitching staff, to look at their record being that they're 13-24, and that is a huge problem for management and the GM of the organization. So when we come back, ladies and gentlemen we're going to get into the nhl playoffs our show is right after the new york islander game we're going to get into the islanders game number seven where do the islanders go against the pesky philadelphia flyers we will get into that here on the weekend crunch As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Sponsored by the Worldwide Sports Radio Network and the New York Sports Scene Magazine. Wow! The New York Islanders. I don't know what's going on, man. Huh. They were up... For 3-1 against the Philadelphia Flyers. All the momentum. And as you can see, it doesn't matter about momentum in hockey. It all gets from hot goaltending. And both goaltenders have not played well in this series. Vlamov has not played well in this series. And Hart has not played well in this series as well. So the fact that you see Hart getting better as the game moves forward and Vlamov getting worse as the games move forward is a bad sign for the New York Islanders and the New York Islanders fan. There was a lot of people saying that the Islanders should take out Volomov and put Grice in. I disagree because if you take Volomov out and put Grice in, you're showing the Philadelphia Flyers that you're giving up.
2: Yeah, I think game seven, especially, I wouldn't do that kind of thing. I wouldn't do anything that drastically, especially for a goaltender, which we've said many times is the most important position in sports, nonetheless hockey. You can't really do that just throwing Grice in cold like that. It's very hard because goaltenders are like baseball players where they have to get into a rhythm. They they need to see shots and Grice really hasn't seen a lot of shots. He had that one time he came into the game when Varlamov got pulled, that was it. And he's not going to be able to do that in a game seven to me. I wouldn't do that either. I might have tried it in game six, Maybe if you wanted to experiment with it, but not game seven.
1: I do look at the Islanders. They're not scoring goals in the overtimes. This is a team that is probably one of the best teams in the playoffs. on Five on five on the power play. They can't put the puck in the net. In in overtime, when you expect them to take over the game, do the stuff that they do well, they have not done in the overtimes. You'll watch Philadelphia. They went to overtime three times in this series, and all three times the Islanders have lost. To me, that scares me because if this game is anywhere close in the third period, tonight, it's going to be a huge problem for the Islanders to try to put the puck in the net.
2: You know, what's interesting, too, is usually overtime and longer games like that benefit younger teams. And the Islanders are a younger team than the Flyers are right now with the stamina, with the depth. You would think that would kind of think would benefit the Islanders, but it hasn't so far. And it's not like the Flyers have won quickly in overtime either, except for game five. It's been a lot of longer overtime games, too. So it's very interesting how that has really turned. And that's just, again, the chaos of the NHL playoffs. Nothing is what it seems.
1: And as you guys know, when you look at the New York Islanders and at the growth of this team and this organization with Luke. Louis- Lamorello taking over the team a couple of years ago, and Barry Trotz. Barry Trotz does not have a good record when he is up 3-1. to If if you look at his career, he's only been to the Eastern Conference Championship and and really – to the Stanley Cup Championship one time in his career. This is a guy who's one of the greatest hockey coaches, one of the greatest hockey minds in NHL history. You can compare him to Scotty Bowman and all the greats that we've seen come in and out of the league over the last 50, 60 years. And Barry Trotz has not been successful when they're up 3-1. Even 3-0 we've seen teams come back with the Washington Capitals over the years. So this is a team... That, to me, is in a state of flux. I want to see what this team is going to do when they're under pressure. Are they going to score early tonight? Are they going to take over the game early? And are they going to control the game, which they've been doing practically every single game? Last game, they had, what, 50 shots? On Hart to, what, 23, 24 shots by Philadelphia? And they gave up five goals. Volomov needs to change his game. He needs to figure things out and understand that this game is as important as any game he's ever played in his career. This is a chance that the Islanders have not been in since 1993. The Islanders have not been to the Eastern Conference Championship for almost 27 years. Mm -hmm. So... It's huge for the New York Islanders to get to the Eastern Conference Championship. It'll be even bigger if they can knock off a team like the Philadelphia Flyers, a pesky team that New York fans do not very
2: very much like. Yeah, you're just I was just about to get into that. The peskiness of the Flyers forwards, I think, has really come into effect too, which, again, with Alain Vigneault has never been the mantra. Oh, give me a break by
1: that guy. <laughs> Did you hear what he said at the press conference? He speaks with such cockiness. I know a lot of people think that Elaine Vigneault is not... And it's so funny because I make jokes all the time about his name, Elaine Vigneault. And and when he was uh, he was the Rangers head coach, I used to say this to Ashley Sarge. Remember Ashley? And what is it up with? What's up with Canadian names? They are all a lot of these Canadian names are girls' names.
2: (laughs) Right, no, no, right. But what what I was saying with Vigneault is the between his time with the Canucks and the Rangers, they really weren't pesky teams with their top forwards. I mean, the, the Canucks had guys on their third and fourth line that were pesky, but it wasn't a big deal. Like the Flyers have guys that are big, they will hit, and they'll do that with their forwards. Yet, again, with Vigneault's system, you didn't really see that. But now you're seeing it again, them playing to that kind of style, not really as much Vigneault's style. And the way they're getting goals is maybe some of it's Vigneault's style, but it's also being tough in front of the net too, which they've had to be. And the Flyers' forwards doing that is really making a difference in why they've been able to come back the way they have. Defensively, they still haven't been great, and they have to be able to adjust to that. And I think they were trusting Hart too much. And, again, Hart has, hasn't has played as well because of that. So they have to make an adjustment, too, defensively if they want to have a shot. But the forwards definitely have.
1: Well, if you look what's going on in the playoffs, two teams that were up 3-1 – Dallas was up 3-1, to one, Colorado came back, and then Dallas won in, in final overtime, 5-4 to four against Colorado that in game number seven. Story. And now Dallas is going to the Western Conference Championship. I have not heard from our friend, but I'm sure I'll hear from Turner sometime
2: this week. Yeah, and the guy that scored the hat trick at that game was a, a replacement player, too. He only played two games in this entire playoff slash qualifying <laughs> That's the rounds. NHL, man. That is crazy to think. He was subbing for Andrew Cogliano, who's normally, one, a good playoff player, and two, a veteran guy that you would think that you would want that kind of leadership in a game seven. He, this guy comes in, he's a rookie. He's only played two games and he gets a hat-trick, it's just crazy.
1: How about the Vegas Knights last night? They they were up three to one. All of a sudden Vancouver and their young team came back and, and Travis Green, I don't know what he tells to his to th- talks to his team in the locker room. This team has completely exploded, and all of a sudden they shut out the Vancouver Canucks in game number seven. Two teams that were up three to one, teams came back and they still won game number seven. So maybe the Islanders can score a half. Trick here and be the third team out of all three teams to win game number seven and move on to the Eastern Conference Championship. Yeah,
2: Vancouver did not look good at all. I mean, Thatcher Demko stood on his head practically the entire game and kept them in it the whole way. But Vancouver at one point, I think in terms of not shots on goal, but shot attempts were being outshot 50 to 14 in terms of shot attempts. That's how well Vegas was playing defensively throughout that game and how much Vancouver was struggling. They were just trying to play the same way and Vegas made great adjustments, but Travis Green, I mean, he done great to this point, but he definitely deserves some blame for not making those adjustments because they were...
1: He's a rookie coach. I
2: understand that, but I gotta use They were flat the whole game for the most part. They, they shouldn't have shot. even been there. I know I understand that, but I'm just saying in terms of a game management perspective, how do you get outshot that badly? I think in the, in the third period, late in the third period, they only had 13 shots on goal for the entire game, mm. which you can't do in a Game 7 and just in any game in general. That's just pathetic to, for showing for from a puck possession standpoint and from an offensive standpoint. And shout out to Thatcher Demko. He stood on his head, but again, there's just so much, only so much he could do before Vegas was eventually going to explode.
1: So we got Dallas and Vegas in the Western Conference, and now. Tampa's waiting for Philadelphia and the Islanders. Who would have thought, besides Vegas, who would have thought that Dallas would be in the Western Conference Championship? And the Islanders and Philadelphia have the opportunity to move on in Eastern Conference Championship. It really is crazy to talk about, but uh, that's what the NHL playoffs uh, delivers to you. That's what they bring to you, and I'm excited uh, to see what happens tonight uh, with the New York Islanders and the Philadelphia Flyers. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into the NBA Playoffs. Uh Uh-oh for the Lakers. We will get into that when we come back. As you guys know, this is a Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time. The last two weeks, right after the Islander game, only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. The NBA playoffs, buddy. The big, bad Lakers. Oh, my God, my friends. Oh, my God. I don't want to hear LeBron James' excuses after the game either. What we saw with the Houston Rockets in game number one was absolute domination in the fourth quarter. I know you love your James Harden. He did nothing against OKC. But what did you think about the first game of the semifinals?
0: I loved it. When you watch the tip-off, you watch the beginning of the game and you see the different lineups. The Lakers with Anthony Davis, LeBron, you know, they have all these big physical specimens. And then you look at the the Houston Rockets and they went small ball. They put P.J. Tucker at the five. They had all guards out there on, on the court. And you, you would think that the Lakers will just pound them inside, and that's not what happened. You know, the Rockets played some great ball, and it was exciting to see them start start off this series with the win. It's great for the game. I don't expect the Lakers to get swept or anything like that, but I think they will put up a fight, but they've got some problems on their hands with these Houston Rockets because they've got confidence, they shoot the ball well, and they've been defending well. They're not backing down at all.
1: Russell Westbrook and James Harden did not play well against OKC, and you look at James Harden as a player. James Harden does not play well against teams, especially in in the later parts of those games what he did in game number seven against OKC was play defense something that he is not known for he made that that game winning block that won them that game against OKC but not only that James Harden is supposed to take over games and James Harden did not take over games against OKC and hopefully we see Russell Westbrook and James Harden take over against this team this this Laker team I think this Laker team is flawed I think there's a lot of weaknesses to this lineup. Their bench players are not as talented as anybody thought they were. They don't score a lot of points off the bench. Their starting lineup has to put most of the points up if they have a chance to win. And again, James Harden needs to figure things out on his shooting ability. He needs to start getting to the hole. He was so good at that in the regular season and drawing fouls. In the playoffs... He, it's been non-existent, it really, in the OKC series, in, in game number six and game number seven. He wasn't drawing enough fouls, which was not giving points to the Rockets. The Rockets need as many points as they possibly can if they're going to beat Anthony Davis and LeBron James and the Lakers moving forward in this series. Well, of course. They're going to need
0: the best from their best player. You know, he's one of the MVP candidates, but the Rockets have shown that it's team ball. It's, it's about how they play as a team. They're playing great team defense. You know, you see... Eric Gordon out there defending. LeBron James got his, but he had to earn every basket. You know, it wasn't like he was just out there shooting free free threes and and backing guys down. He had to earn every bucket. And that's what you're going to have to do if you're the Houston Rockets. And, you know, it's exciting. It's exciting to see these teams. It's exciting to see the no real home court advantage. You get the numbers on the series, but the crowd is taken out of it. Now you're just playing ball. I mean, you're seeing it with Miami. You're, you're seeing it with you know, all, all these other teams. And, and it's wonderful for the league. And I'm, I'm excited to watch playoff basketball.
1: Well, you're not going to win with LeBron James if he scores 20 points. He needs to score at least 30 points. This is a guy that averages almost 30 points a game in the playoffs. He takes his game to a whole nother level, but I don't know what happened to him yesterday. Houston kept him on the outside, and when you keep LeBron James on the outside, he's not shooting the ball well. He has problems putting the ball in the net, so that is a huge thing. And and by the way, James Harden did play well yesterday, and that's Mm -hmm. a big part of why he needs to take over games. If he doesn't take over games in the big games, in game number fives, in game number sixes, and game number seven, Houston doesn't stand a chance against the Lakers. But they have the early lead. They had the early lead against OKC. they were up 2-0, and then OKC came right back and took over the series. So I want to see that they, if they're going to put their their, their they're, they're going to put their foot on LeBron James's neck and the Lakers' neck, make sure that they put it down and make sure they put them out and put them out about. I, that's what I want to see. If they don't do that. Uh, I there's going to be a big problem uh, moving forward because, you know, LeBron James, you heard what he said at the press conference. He didn't like the way way his team played and he didn't like the way he played. You know, he's going to come out very, very strong. So will Anthony Davis, who Anthony Davis, go look at his numbers. He didn't have such a great game either in game number one. So this is a team that wasn't
0: by accident. That was not by accident. Houston Rockets defended very well. They kept the Lakers out in the perimeter. They took their strength away upon the Rockets. I'm going to accept LeBron James shooting a bunch of jump shots. I'm going to accept Anthony Davis shooting jump shots. If you lose that way, then that's fine. But if you consistently keep them on the perimeter shooting jump shots they're gonna win a, a couple games in the series
1: how about miami being up 3-0 against the milwaukee bucks jimmy buckets I oh told my you, god he's man. a
0: problem and this team is a problem because they are just playing basketball they're just balling they play team ball they hold each other accountable they all work hard they play great defense they're gritty they're grinders pat riley is definitely his attitude his approach to the game is definitely rubbed off on this organization they're, they're selfless and, and i love to see them play to see jimmy butler Going right at Giannis onto the Kubo yesterday it was amazing. You know, I think they <laughs> caught a soundbite of him taking him to the cup and saying, He can't guard me. You know, this is a guy who's the defensive player of the year. And there have been several players that came out and said, Giannis, he doesn't guard the best player on the team. The defensive player of the year shuts down the best player. And Giannis hasn't done that. And he hasn't been able to stop any of the great players in the playoffs.
1: The way you stop the Greek freak is very simple. You keep him outside the paint. If you keep him outside the paint, he can't score outside the paint. He has problems shooting 16, 17-foot jumpers. And you saw what Kawhi Leonard did last year with Toronto. Everybody is figuring him out now in the playoffs. When it becomes a half-court game, Giannis can't... Figure things out, and that to me is a huge problem because if Giannis wants to grow as a player, he needs to figure out how to shoot a 16 17 foot jumper. Anthony Davis did. Anthony Davis, when he came from college basketball with Kentucky, he was not a good shooter, he was a rebounder and he was a guy that dominated inside. You saw he transitioned his game when he went to the Pelicans and completely changed his game. Now you see he's one of the best shooters, he's one of the best big men in the NBA offensively because he changed his game, he worked on his craft. Giannis has not worked on his craft. He saw what Toronto did to him last year in the playoffs and knocked off Milwaukee. You would think in the offseason he would have worked on his shot, would have worked on his 16, 17-foot jumpers. Giannis has not, and you're seeing the problem right now. Milwaukee, you say whatever you want. They have one of the best benches in the league, but the problem is is they don't get secondary scoring without Giannis scoring 30, 40 points, and that's a huge problem moving forward in this series.
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's playoff basketball. You know, if if you're playing someone for a seven-game series, uh, you, you have a chance to lock in on, on what they do. You know, playing in the season is like, you know, you have one game, uh, you know, three games a week. You know, you're just playing ball. You're, you're just trying to get a better understanding of your team concept. Once you get into the playoffs, you lock into their strengths, you take away the, the you make them play left-handed. And and how is it making how is Miami making Milwaukee play left handed? Mm-hmm. They're keeping Giannis out of the paint. Right. They're playing team defense, all eyes on Giannis. And, and yes, you know, you have to watch out for Middleton shooting threes. You have to watch out for the other the other players on the team, but he's the head. You got to take down the head and the body will fall. And Miami's done a great job of that defensively. When your leading
1: scorer in game number three is Brooke Lopez, that's a problem. That is a yeah. huge problem. And, and Miami seeing,
0: will take that every single game And Brooke. I want Brooke Lopez to lead y'all in scoring
1: every game. Mm-hmm. And Miami's going to be,
0: you know, sweeping the, the Milwaukee Bucks. <laughs> they
1: will. I, I I think this series is completely over 3-0. Uh, we haven't seen an NBA team come back from a 3-0 deficit in a very long time. I, I don't see it. Uh, I think Milwaukee is done. And I, the question is, where does Giannis go? There are stories coming out that Giannis might not want to be a Milwaukee Buck for the rest of his career. Does he want to go to Golden State? Does he want to go to Miami? Stories coming out that him and Jimmy Butler have been speaking. Why not go and play for Pat Riley with the way this team is playing? If they had Giannis to this team, uh, they'll be unstoppable. They would be unstoppable. Miami would be the best team in the Eastern Conference. But again, Kevin Durant's coming back next year. Yeah, yeah Kyrie Irvin. The Nets will be better next year with uh, Steve Nash, which we'll get into in just one second. And how about the Boston Celtics right now? Up 2-1. to one i think they're the better team i think boston is the best team in the east and i do believe i i want to see a boston celtics miami heat eastern conference championship
0: oh that would be a great one that that would be a treat right there you know just two young teams that that play uh, great basketball uh but you know looking at that series with boston you know og hit that game winner mm-hmm. that was a lapse in defense for Crazy. the uh, boston celtics you know you you uh you, you can't break down mentally especially at those key moments of the game and if that doesn't happen you're looking at the celtics up 3-0 right now mm-hmm. uh, but with that being said toronto is still alive they're, they're still kicking they're a tough team they've made it through the playoffs obviously last year they're nba champions but um you know nick nurse has, does, has done a great job with the talent that he has in front of him i mean you talk about losing the league mvp and still being in the playoff hunt i mean that's amazing coaching that's great leadership by the players and i really like this this toronto team it, listen uh, the one thing about this bubble that I've had the opportunity to, to, to do is to watch these teams more in depth. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Get to know guys personally and see them, uh, you know, every night and see the character of these teams. And I think that's what's been special about it. And I think the NBA has done a great job, no crowd noise, but you don't really, uh, you don't really see that in this atmosphere, right? You know, you get to know the players, you get to see their strengths and weaknesses and uh, it's, it's really been a, a cool season. You know, unfortunately every team hasn't been able to participate, but the teams that are playing right now, has uh, really been special.
1: I am so surprised when I heard on Thursday that the Brooklyn Nets are going to announce that Steve Nash is going to be their next head coach. I really thought they were going to go all in on Greg Popovich. I heard different stories and different names get brought up, and unfortunately, when you look at the big picture of old point guards that become coaches in the NBA that have no coaching experience, I don't want to hear that he was an assistant coach for the Golden State Warriors. The Golden State Warriors with Steph Curry, Clayton Thompson, and that talent of a pool. And by the way, he was an assistant coach to a team that didn't even make the playoffs. So Steve Nash becomes a head coach for the the Brooklyn Nets. I know Kevin Durant loves it because he's very close with uh, Steve Nash. Steve Nash is very well respected. He's a Hall of Famer, one of the best point guards of our era. But all in all, it doesn't make any sense. And this could hurt Sean Marks moving forward because if Steve Nash does not succeed from what Kenny Atkinson has done in the two years of taking over for the Brooklyn Nets. It's going to be huge when you look at ownership and where this team is moving forward in the near future.
0: It was a very surprising move for a lot of people. You know, I, I know myself, I was looking forward to to interviews from Mark Jackson, from Sam Cassell, you know, some some other guys, you know, besides Greg Popovich, it would have been nice to see them in the hunt because they've done such a great job. You know, Ty Lu, you know, a guy who's turned down head coaching jobs I I was excited to see some of those interviews for this job, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, when you look at it, Steve Nash, you know, league MVP a couple times, you know, great player. I I've got to I got to watch him when I was in high school when he was at Santa Clara, yeah, I know. you know, come play Gonzaga, you know, and, and you know he just has a, a great mind for the game. And if you can relate to the players, he knows the game obviously. No, he doesn't have head coaching experience, but he knows ball and he's played it at the highest level. And so I I think this may be. Uh, maybe something special. It may lead to something different. He may get the best out of Kyrie Irving, help him be the best point guard he can be. And uh, at this point with the Brooklyn Nets, it's like, why not? Why nah, not try something new he's going to you know, are you going to keep going to these recycled coaches that yeah. have been coaching and haven't been successful mm-hmm. or are you going to try something new and you know who knows I, I think it may end up working for him
1: he's going to run Kyrie Irving's going to run Steve Nash out of town i'm telling you right now, Steve Nash, who has no coaching experience as a head coach, all of a sudden taking over for an n b a team that was supposedly supposed to be a contender this past year and were a pretender i don't know man i I, I will say this i I hope for their sake, for Kevin, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irvin, that they can move forward for Steve Nash. By the way, uh, John ja Morant is Rookie of the Year. What are your thoughts to that? Oh, I love it. I love it. Ja
0: played uh, consistently through the year. I mean, what a, what a special player. You know, I got to watch him. You know, I got to watch him play the Brooklyn Nets this year. I mean, a tremendous athlete. He's been consistent. He's been healthy, unlike Zion. You know, and, and uh, he's going to be a true star in this NBA. So it's it's great to see him win that that NBA Rookie of the Year. Um, I saw um, Montrez Harrell got Sixth yep. Man of the Year. Yep. That's well deserved yep. as well. Uh, these guys surprising. have been playing well all year, so it's uh, it's cool. I, I love seeing these award seasons uh, when, when guys that just really bust their butts and do it the right way and get the award.
1: Up next, we're going to get into debate hour, and we're not going to have the drop again. You
0: know, the drop is, is great <laughs> if you win, but if you're getting dominated, you, you can't just have the drop like that.
1: Oh, <laughs> here he goes talking again. When we come back here on the Weekend Crunch, debate hour. Wait a second! I remember this track from Juice. Remember that? <laughs> As you Apple guys,
0: in there mixing? <laughs> That's right.
1: As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9 The LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Omar Epps. That was a great movie. Tupac Shakur. Tupac, oh, yeah. He was such a good bad guy, man. He was awesome. He really was.
0: Yeah, that was a great movie. Oh, I
1: love that movie. And by the way, that was in our time. So there you go. Mm-hmm. And we're just only seven days apart. So I'm, I'm your elder. So you got to respect me a little bit. <laughs> you got to respect me a little bit. You know, I'm just kidding. Anyways, uh, as you guys know, we call this segment Debate Hour. First one, we were talking about Giannis and
2: A.D. Anthony Davis. Who's the better player right now, Anthony Davis or Giannis?
0: Oh, man, that's a, that's a great question. I mean, these guys are, are, are both playing good ball. They both had tough outings yesterday in, in the games. But I'm going to go with Anthony Davis. I think that he really adds more uh, to what, you know, what he can do as a player, how he can beat you. He has the ball handling skills. He can shoot from the perimeter. He can obviously take you down inside. And he's a great shot blocker. So I'm going to go with A.D.
1: Really? I I would say Giannis. Giannis has really taken over as one of the best players in the NBA. He's Defensive Player of the Year this year. I believe he's probably going to win the MVP this year. If you look at his numbers, besides Luka Doncic, who has the numbers of Giannis Antetokounmpo? I can't ever pronounce his name.
2: That was was pretty good. Was it good? It was pretty good, yeah. I'm I'm good. the closest one you got
1: so far. Yeah, there you go, the Greek freak. I can never pronounce his last name, but to me... He has been one of the dominant forces, not only for the Milwaukee Bucks but for the NBA as a big man. He's really transitioned the game, really changed the big man position. He can he could do everything. He could rebound, he could pass, and he could score. The only problem that he has a problem with is shooting 16, 17 foot jumpers uh, around the perimeters. If he figures that game out. He's going to be unstoppable. So I'm going to take Giannis because of what he has done the last couple of years. Anthony Davis is a great player, but Giannis is on a whole nother level, especially with what he's doing defensively and offensively. He could win defensive player of the year and uh, the MVP this year all in one
2: season. Better linebacker in his time. Both kind of retired early, so they're very similar. Patrick Willis or Luke Keekly?
0: Ooh, that's, that's a great one, man. I'm a big Patrick Willis fan. You know ever since he came out of Ole Miss I, I mean just to watch him physically dominate uh, listen he does a great job in pass defense not as good as Luke Keekley but when you talk about a, a downhill linebacker who's going to come down and knock your block off I mean there's nobody better than Patrick Willis oh I mean, he's, he's the guy that that really broke defenders <laughs> down and broke their will um, you know Luke Keekley better athlete but all around just linebacker when you look at the linebacker position Patrick Willis all day.
1: Oh, Luke Kuechly. Come on, man. Leadership. What he did for the Carolina Panthers. Transitioned their game defensively. Really took their defense to a whole nother level. When we talk about Luke Kuechly in the linebacker position, we know what Patrick Willis is. And Patrick Willis retired at a young age. Same thing with Luke Kuechly. Luke Kuechly really was fighting injury. Patrick Willis was not injured when he retired. He retired because of the CTE thing. He wanted to make sure that his brain was intact. Luke Kuechly really, he ended his career early because of the injuries that he obtained, but what Luke Keekley did for the, the Carolina Panthers was extraordinary. And Patrick Willis also played in the Super Bowl as well as Luke Keekley did. I'm not saying Patrick Willis wasn't a great leader. There was a lot of leaders on that team. They had one of the best linebacking corps in San Francisco when Patrick Willis was one of the best linebackers in the league, but Luke Keekley really transitioned the game for Carolina, and really for the linebacker position, calling the plays at the line of scrimmage, really dominating, getting to the quarterback, dropping back and defending the, t- the tight ends the way he did, taking over in the big parts of the game and being the defensive player that they needed. I'm going to take Carolina and Luke Keekley
0: Well, Luke Keekley had the great Thomas Davis next to him. Yes, he did. The, one of the, the best athletes of the position to, to play the game next to him, so... His job was a little easier than, than Patrick Willis. Patrick Willis had some great guys around him, but playing that 3-4 coming downhill, man, there's nothing like it.
1: <laughs> I like Patrick Willis. This is
2: fitting because he just got hired. Like You were talking about him earlier. So better point guard in his career. Obviously, Chris Paul's is not over yet, but Chris Paul or Steve Nash?
0: I'm going with Steve Nash. A- a- and the reason I'm going to go with Steve Nash is because not only can he pass the ball, you know, he can handle, uh, but one of the best scoring point guards that we've seen Uh, I mean, I've seen him shoot. I mean, everybody shoots threes nowadays, but Steve Nash was doing it back in the day when when guys weren't shooting the three ball like that. Uh, So I'm going to go with Steve Nash. I believe he's a two-time MVP, Mm -hmm. you know, played against some of the greatest players uh, to play this game and and really can do it all. So I'm going to go with Steve Nash. I'm
1: going to go with Chris Paul because when Steve Nash was in the league, who were they saying was the best point guard in the league? It was Chris Paul. Now, Chris Paul never won MVPs, and I know a lot of people are going to say, well, he never won MVP, so he can't even be put in the same uh, thought of Steve Nash. MVPs don't mean anything. To me, that's all about a fan favorite or or a league favorite. I I look at what Chris Paul has done as a player. Look at it. He's still at the top of his game at the age of 36, 37. Steve Nash is retired. He's not the same player Uh, I mean, Chris Paul is not the same player he once was at the top of his game. But in the last 10 seasons, probably the last three or four years, I wouldn't say, but the 10 years before that, Chris Paul was the best point guard in the NBA. Go look at what he did for the Rockets before he got hurt bringing him to the playoffs. He was the best player on the team. I don't want to hear about James Harden. He was the best player on the team. And then look at what he did with OKC with all those young players and nobody thought they should have been a playoff contender. He was one game away from knocking off the Rockets that just beat the Lakers. So I still think Chris Paul is one of the best point guards in the league right now when he's 36 years old. And that's saying a lot when you look at how the game has transitioned off of what he played and how he played his game. He's become a better shooter. He's become a better point guard. Uh, so I'm going to go with Chris Paul.
2: With the assumption that Bill Belichick and Andy Reid are the two best coaches in the NFL who do you think is third and why
0: that is a great question I'm gonna have to go with Mike Tomlin for as as long as Mike Tomlin has been with Pittsburgh Steelers he's done a great job of of having competitive teams you know he hasn't had the best uh, talent you know he's had Ben Roethlisberger Le'Veon Bell Antonio Brown uh, in the past but uh, I, I think when you look at his the team defense that he that he coaches um, you know that organization has been at the top for 10, 15 years, and I think Mike Tomlin has done a great job managing those 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 personalities. He's done a great job of instilling toughness in that team and being a, and creating a consistent winner. So I'm going to go with Mike Tomlin.
1: Well, there's two there's two coaches that I can go back and forth with: Sean Payton and John Harbaugh but I'm going to go with John Harbaugh because John Harbaugh has been a winner ever since he's came over there. He's come over there. He was a special teams coach. A lot of people were iffy when he took over the Baltimore Ravens, but he took over, he won a Super Bowl. He's really transitioned the the Baltimore Ravens for the better, and they've had winning seasons practically every single year he's been the head coach. And he's been a playoff, they've been a playoff contending team every single year since he's taken over. You look at Lamar Jackson, nobody thought they were going to transition their game for Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He was the MVP last year in his second year. They have a chance now to win a Super Bowl with the talent that they have. I'm going to go with John Harbaugh because he has won every single year he's been there with the Baltimore Ravens. So John Harbaugh, I think, is the third best coach in the NFL.
0: That's a great argument, but I win that one. (laughs) Tomlin? What
1: is Tomlin? I know he won one Super Bowl. He won one Super Bowl.
0: Hey, one. how many has John Harbaugh won? He's won one. (laughs) <laughs> but has he won one
1: he's won one he beat jim he Beat
2: his brother yes he did
1: <laughs> tom was better you got me with tony roma last week buddy so i had to get right. you one So there it's better. one one no better power
2: forward of the 1990s carl malone or charles barkley oh
0: that that's a great one man those are one. two two legends right there you know what i'm gonna go with my man carl malone because he played with fellow fellow Spokane native John Stockton, and you know just one <laughs> of the great scores, you know the one of the probably the best one-two combo we've ever seen in the NBA, Karl Malone and John Stockton. But um, you know Karl Malone, the mailman, did it for so long. You know, obviously Charles Barkley has, has done it, had a long career, great career as well. Neither one of them won championships, but you know I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Karl Malone just because of how long he did it at such a high level.
1: I love the mailman, and we actually interviewed a guy named what, what was his last name? Speedy Malo, yeah, Malo, and I, I called him the mailman. So it reminded me of Carmelo. It's it's funny that you brought him up, but I'm going to go with Charles Barkley. Charles Barkley, say whatever you want. He he was a man of a lot of words, and he liked to cause trouble on the court. But you asked the Dream Team in 1992 who was the best player on the court besides Michael Jordan. Everybody will tell you Charles Barkley and his dominance as an offensive player. He was an MVP. He did everything as a power forward, as a small forward. He played multiple positions. He transitioned the game. And what he has done for the NBA moving forward as an analyst really changed the game. He's one of the best analysts on TNT. He's one of the best uh, sports analysts in, in professional uh, basketball and professional sports. Uh, on the court, he was a dominant player not only for the Philadelphia 76ers, but the Phoenix Suns and even the Houston Rockets. The guy had a sensational career, averaged 22.1 points a game, 11 rebounds a game. Average 11 rebounds a game and almost four assists. Um, As good as Carl Malone was, he was a great offensive player. I believe Charles Barkley was a two-way play. He was a great defender, too. So I'm going to take Charles Barkley. All right, last one. We'll get into
2: some offensive linemen. Better offensive linemen Uh-oh. in his time. Willie Rofe or Jonathan Ogden?
0: Oh, man. That's, that's a heck of a question, Speedy, uh, because both of these guys are Hall of Famers. Both of them were, were physically dominant. Just because of the fact that I played against him and I know him personally, I'm going to go with, with J.O. I'm going with Jonathan Ogden. You know, he was a, you know, a hall of famer, obviously revolutionized the position. He was tall, about six foot nine, very athletic off that corner, protecting the backside of many quarterbacks and leading the way for guys like Jamal Lewis to rush for 2000 yards. You know, I, so I'm going to go with Jonathan Ogden. I think he was one of the best athletes to play, play the position and, uh, you know, no, no disrespect to Mr. Rofe, but I'm gonna go with J.O. J-
1: I'm going to go with Jonathan Ogden, too. I, I, he's, he revolutionized the offensive tackle position and what he did with the sport and transitioning the game. When you talk about Makai Beckham, he will tell you that that was the guy that he watched. There was a lot of offensive tackles. Even Orlando Pace would tell you, and he played with Jonathan Ogden, and I, I think Orlando Pace is one of the greatest offensive linemen of all time as well. Mm-hmm. I think Jonathan Ogden was better, and Orlando Pace said that Jonathan Ogden was a better athlete than he was, so... I'm going to go with Jonathan Ogden because he was a fantastic player, fantastic leader, and he won Super Bowls. So, Jonathan Ogden. It's funny. I have
2: Orlando Pace in another one, too, so I guess we'll do that one next week.
1: That's it for debate hour, and I won this time. We,
0: we know who won.
1: Who won that you know, one? You who won that one? <laughs> Eric's a little cocky. No, I'm not cocky. I'm confident. <laughs> That's his saying <laughs> on his back. I'm not cocky. I'm confident. Well, I'll tell you, I have a lot of respect for you, so I'll I'll give you that. But I won that debate, my friend. (laughs) When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into the AFC, me and Eric, here on the Weekend Crunch. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9 the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by the Worldwide Sports Radio Network and the New York Sports Scene Magazine. What a show, man. Great show right after the Islander game. Very happy to be here. Shout out to JVC Media, JVC Broadcasting for having us on. We're very excited. Me and Eric Coleman, I'll I, I tell you this. Eric, you are the not only a great partner, but a great ambassador for the NFL and, and our show. I, I really appreciate you being here and, and being my partner, my friends.
0: Oh, thank you, man. It's a pleasure to work with you guys and uh, and, and talk a little a little ball mm-hmm. on Long Island. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Oh, uh, at work.
1: You're a Long Island native, man. You're not from Long Island, but you live here in Long Island. You just you just bought a house, my friend. Yeah, man. Yeah, time to time to move up. And, uh, ah. you know, we're excited. We're excited. I'm happy it. for you, man. You deserve thank it, man. You. Your hard work and dedication. You deserve it. You bought it in a nice area, so I'm very excited for you and your family, your beautiful wife, and your beautiful kids. Thank you. Ah, well, we just found out a uh, uh, quarterback getting a lot of money. Deshaun Watson agrees to a four year deal worth of one hundred and sixty million dollars. I just got the the actual number. OK, what's the number
0: it's worth? One hundred and seventy seven point five million dollars, mm-hmm. nearly one hundred and eleven million in guarantees. And other than than Patrick Mahomes is the richest deal in NFL history.
1: I didn't think that Deshaun Watson wanted to be there with the Texans. They they got rid of his best weapon. And Hopkins, who went to the Arizona Cardinals, I was very surprised that they moved on with Hopkins because he was very, very close. They both went to Clemson. They were very close with each other uh, when Deshaun Watson came to the team when he was drafted. He should have waited for at least another year, and maybe he would have gotten uh, a franchise tag, or maybe he would have taken more money somewhere else. Well, you don't want
0: you know you, as an NFL player, you don't want the franchise tag. That's something that you want to avoid at all costs because you you want that guaranteed money, you want that that longevity, that security. So you know, I, I think that Deshaun looked at the market, he he saw what they were offering, and what better way to mend the differences if you're the Houston Texans is to make your quarterback the second richest in NFL history. And I think that it was a smart move by the Houston Texans. You know, I say it all the time. You know, there's only a handful of NFL, there's only a handful of people in the world that can play the quarterback position in the NFL at the elite level. And Deshaun Watson's one of them. He's young. He signed a four-year deal, so that gives him time to play out this contract, go get another one later on. So I think it was a very smart move by Deshaun and, uh, and a great smart, great move by the organization as well.
1: Oh, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league. He's a top-seven quarterback. He's been an elite quarterback since he's come in the league. And I remember Mr. Sweeney saying that teams will regret not drafting Michael Jordan. That's what he compared his game to. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Deshaun Watson has been incredible with all the tears of ACLs that he's had in both his knees, and still playing at a top level. It's it's incredible. Uh, well, we've... you know,
0: you know who's licking their chops right now, right? Oh, I and, know, and, I know who you're celebrating talking about. Is the is the other man in Texas, the other quarterback mm-hmm. down the street in Dallas, in Dak <laughs> Prescott? I mean, that, that's why you know, as NFL players, you see guys get paid. You know, everybody, everybody, I don't care who you are, you're excited. You know, when you see guys get re- record numbers, you get excited because that's just raising the bar for when you're when you're up. And, and I know for a guy like Dak Prescott, who everybody was getting on for, oh, man, he wants to, he wants to get this much money. He He's asking for this money. Well, you've seen two quarterbacks go on and get it. And now guess who's up next? And Mm -hmm. and he's going to get it, whether it be from the Dallas Cowboys or another franchise. You're going to see Dak Prescott up next.
1: Well, we have to see what Dak is going to do this year. And we're going to get into the AFC right now. We're going to call this segment Contenders or Pretenders. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here we go. AFC North from team to team, Baltimore first. Are they contenders or pretenders and why?
0: Oh, they're a hundred percent contenders. You know, the, you saw them, uh, you know, take their team, take their game to the next level last year. You know, Lamar Jackson played elite football. The defense was, was playing uh, better than, than most teams in the league and they just have a, a, a toughness. You know, John Harbaugh's done a great job. Their special teams units are great. The defense is great. Their offense is physical and they're tough. And you know, They added some more weapons for Lamar this year, so I think that they're definitely contenders, and they're they're going to be a a problem to deal with.
1: I think they're absolutely contenders. I think they're the best team in the AFC. What what Lamar Jackson did last year really changed the game, the speed of the game, and what he does inside and out really changed the game. They have a great running game. They have a great offensive line. They added Campbell to their defensive line, which solidifies their defense even better. They're secondary strong. This is a great team. This is a very well-built machine I absolutely believe they're going to be in the Super Bowl this year. I think they're incredible. And if Lamar Jackson can stay healthy and they can protect Lamar Jackson, they're going to be scary, scary good. I think they can win all 16 games this year. I really do. That's how good I think they're going to be. So I think they're contenders. Pittsburgh Steelers.
0: I think Pittsburgh is a contender as well. You know, getting Ben Roethlisberger back. You know, everybody's saying in camp he's, his arm feels better than it's ever felt. You know, and you hear that sometimes when guys take some time off, get their arm. Um, rehabilitated, uh, you know, take time to, to work on the mechanics. I, I love hearing what Ben Roethlisberger has done. He's had a great career so far. And I think that Mike Tomlin has done a great job of creating a good atmosphere. So I, I think that, listen, they're, they're not going to be, they're not going to win the division. I think that's Baltimore's division, but there's no reason why they can't make it into that wild card position and, uh, and put some pressure on a lot of teams. Well, they this. do
1: have the extra wild card team, but I think they're a pretender. I don't think Ben is going to be 100% healthy. He had shoulder surgery in the offseason on his throwing arm. That's going to affect his throwing power. I just think that this team has a lot of weaknesses. They're a good offensive line. They have a good running game. They have Juju Smith, but I think that there's a lack of defense. I don't think this defense is as good as everybody thinks they are. They added Mika Fitzpatrick, who had really solidified their defense in their secondary last year when they moved him to safety position. I just think they're weak over there in their secondary. So... Ooh. I think they're a pretender. I do. I think oh, they're a pretender. Oh, man,
0: yeah. Boy, we, we got Minkah Fitzpatrick, Joe watch. Hayden. Watch. TJ Joe Hart Hayden's Hart washed up. Joe Hayden is washed up, You can, buddy. You can say watch, but when is Mike Tomlin produced a loser? And That's you true. you can say never. You That's can say true. never. So they're always in the hunt, well. especially with the amount of talent they have.
1: I still think they're a pretender. I don't think they're a playoff team. I, I, I really think they're going to fall off this year. I think this might be the last year you're going to see Ben Roethlisberger. Cleveland Browns, pretender or contender?
0: I'm not a big fan of them. I'm not a big fan of Cleveland. I'm going to say they're a pretender. They're a team that's star-studded, but they're a selfish team. You know, they're, they're looking after their own stats. They're looking after their own ambitions. And you can't win football games like that. You, know, you need all 53 men on the in that locker room to be wanting to go to the same goal. And i played on teams that have been, you know, had a bunch of talent, Pro Bowl players and all-stars. And if you don't play together as a unit, if you don't push one another, if you don't make this agenda about the team rather than yourself, then you can't win. And I think that's the Cleveland Browns. And I think they're, pretenders
1: they are pretenders no doubt about it Uh, Baker Mayfield I don't think is a starting quarterback in the league I think he's a backup quarterback and they have a ton of talent you saw what they have and you if you they're starstruck but Odell Beckham on the team Odell Beckham doesn't shut his mouth I don't think he wants to be there so I'm gonna say they're pretenders I think this team is all over the place I do not like their coach hire this year I, I just think they're they're not a good team so I'm gonna say pretender Cincinnati Bengals
0: Cincinnati Bengals. I, th- I think this year they're they're going to be pretenders. Uh, that doesn't mean that you know they're not moving in the right direction. I thought uh, Joe Burrow was a great draft pick for them, and I think he's going to be their quarterback for a very long time. Um, you know, I, I believe they just signed Joe Mixon to mm-hmm. a long term deal. Yep. Um, you know, there's there, there, there's some talent over there. You know, with the with the Cincinnati Bengals, but it's it's one thing to have the talent and and the skills. It's another thing to mentally believe that you can get over that hump you know when i played in detroit there were there were times where we would go play green bay go play chicago and that week the organization got so tight everybody was so anxious and and nervous about the game that it went down to the players and i think it's an organ organizational thing that that they the hump that they need to get over and change the culture in cincinnati and that's a few years away so i'm gonna go pretender
1: I absolutely believe they're a pretender. I like Joe Burrows. I think he's going to be a quarterback in the league. A team that needs to transition, I think Joe Mixon is definitely going to give them a boost, giving him the money that he deserves. I think he's one of the best running backs in the league. A.J. Green coming back, adding another weapon for Joe Burrows is going to help them. I don't like their defense. I still think they're getting old in age. They've got to rebuild that defense. Atkins and, and what they have done over the last couple of years, they've been one of the best defenses in the league, but uh, I think they're transitioning now, and I don't like their coach, so I think they're a pretender. AFC West, the Can the city chiefs oh come on now
0: <laughs> this will be easy for you contenders. they're the team to beat right now they added some very good players in the defense they're the real deal patrick mahomes is the best player in the nfl and, and they're going to be a pret- uh, contender for years to come
1: i'm not even going to argue this they're a contender they're the super bowl champions patrick mahomes is the best quarterback right now in football andy Reid, i think is one of the most underrated coaches in professional football denver broncos
0: denver broncos i'm gonna go with pretender they have some some talent over there. I mean, every team has talent, but when you look at the AFC West and who they're going to be playing twice a year, I don't see the Broncos coming out of that division. I'm going to go pretender.
1: I'm going to go with contender. I like what they did in the offseason. I like what they did in the draft adding Jerry Judy and some of the speed on the outside. Locke looks like a quarterback. He can throw the ball. He's got a great arm. He can move inside and out. I like their offensive line, the restructuring of their defense too. I think the Broncos are going to be very, very good. The question is, are they going to be able to do it in a division with the Kansas City Chiefs, like you were saying? But I still think they're a contender. I think they're a wildcard team oakland raiders
0: i think the oakland raiders are a contender i think they are the wild card team out of the afc west you're john gruden another year to put a winner together there was some, a lot of distractions last year with antonio brown they had a new facility being built there were so many things that went into that and they still ended up with a solid team i'm gonna go with contender because i believe that Derek carr is gonna have a better year this year i believe that they put some weapons around him and that defense you know hopefully they'll find a way to get after the quarterback you know, after losing Khalil Mack, it's been a struggle, but I do think they're moving in the right direction.
1: I think they're a pretender. I don't think they're quite ready this year. I like their star tight end. I like that Carr is still there, and maybe him and John Gruden can figure things out and work together where they're not going to be talking about trading him next year again. But I think this team is on the right track. They're going to be in Vegas. I. I'm interested to see what this team is going to do moving forward and what John Gruden's going to do in the draft. I didn't like his draft this past year. So, and, and Rugg, Ruggs, he's a good player. He's a speedy guy on the outside. Is he going to be consistent? That's going to be the question moving forward. And this defense needs to uh, needs to get better. So, I'm going to say they're a pretender this year.
0: The Los Angeles Chargers. Los Angeles Chargers, I do think that they are a contender as well. Uh, they'll, they'll be in the hunt. I don't know if they'll make the, the wild card, but I love Tyrod Taylor as a quarterback. He's done nothing but had success. They have a great defense you know bosa they have the talent offensively you know with some one of the best receiving cores in the nfl if you look at them last year with philip rivers and and all the mistakes that he made they still had a chance to get in he threw so many interceptions i I think tyrod taylor if he can cut down the interceptions in the half of what philip rivers did the year before that puts his team in a much better position so i'm gonna go contender
1: I'm going to go with Pretender. I don't think they're any good this year. They lost Melvin Gordon. Uh, Melvin Ingram might not even play this year. He's come out and said that if he doesn't get his contract, he's not playing. This defense is in a state of flux. And, and this offensive style of game, you don't even know who's going to be starting this year. You, you say Tyrod Taylor. We're, I've been hearing maybe Justin Herbert will take no, over. No, he's
0: been named the no, starter. No, I know
1: Tyrod Taylor has been named starter. But how long is he going to be the starter? Maybe two, three games? And then you're going to see Justin Herbert. So... Um, I'm going to go pretender this year. I think they're rebuilding AFC East, the New England Patriots. New England Patriots, I
0: I think that they will be the real deal. I don't think that they're gonna win the AFC East. I think that's that's Buffalo's division right now. But listen, with Cam Newton leading the show, he's not gonna be Tom Brady. That's something the organization, the fans are gonna have to get in touch with, that he's not Tom Brady, he's not the same player. He brings different skill set. but I think Bill Belichick is probably the best at adapting to to missing players. So I I think that they'll find a way to make Cam Newton the focal point of this offense and and they'll thrive. You know, they've always had a, a tough defense. they're missing patrick chung and they're missing quite a few players but at the same time i I think that they're going to put together a great team they've always done it they they develop they develop talent the best out of any team in the nfl and they get the most out of their players so i think for that reason with them not making mental mistakes them having some a lot of skill players, I think they're a contender.
1: I absolutely believe they're a contender. I think they're going to win the division. I do not believe Buffalo is going to win the division. I think a lot of people are blowing smoke up there, you know what. I think Cam Newton was a great acquisition for them. They got him for nothing. Uh, Julian Elliman is there. They still have weapons. They have a good running game. I think their offensive line losing seven big pieces because of COVID-19 and not playing this year and opting out of this year, it will affect them. But with all the different players that they have right now on their roster and what Bill Belichick has done over the year, stocking up draft picks, I think they're still going to be a good team. I think they're going to be a competitive team. And I do believe they're going to win the division again this year, even though you look at the Buffalo Bills and the Jets and even the Miami Dolphins getting better. So I think they're a contender. The Buffalo Bills.
0: Buffalo Bills, I, I think they're definitely a contender. Josh Allen taking the, uh, the next step this year. That defense, Leslie Frazier has done a great job of coaching defenses for his whole career. And I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Sean McDermott has done a great job of, of bringing in talent. I like this team. I think they're going to take it to the next level and, and win those games. I mean, they're, when I say that they're a contender, yeah. no, that doesn't mean that they're going to win 12 games. If they win 10 games, they could end up winning this division and, uh, and making some hay once the playoffs come,
1: They're definitely a contender. I like their defense. They're one of the best defenses in the league. They've been one of the best defensives in the league since Rex Ryan. They've been absolutely extraordinary. McDermott has really transitioned this team ever since he's taken over for Rex Ryan and really where this team is going with Josh Allen. They're going to ride Josh Allen's shoulders. Josh Allen plays well. They're going to win. So I believe they're a contender. I don't know if they're going to win the division. They could be a wild card team. The New York Jets.
0: The New York Jets, listen, I'm going to say they're going to be a contender as well. It's going to be a dogfight in the AFC East. Uh, you know, th- this is a scrappy division, you know, from the top to bottom, this is this is this is tough. The Jets have a very tough schedule. They start out at Buffalo second game. They they have San Francisco coming to town. And so it may be a slow start for them. But at the end of the day, they have a great defensive coordinator. They, uh, I think they have the tools on defense. They're going to be missing C.J. Mosley, but they have Avery Williamson. You know, they have Neville Hewitt inside. Quentin Williams is looking like he's in great shape. He's changed his body. So I do think that this team is going to put a, a great product together. I think they'll be in the hunt, and they'll definitely be a contender.
1: This is coming from a Jet fan. I think they're a pretender this year. I think they're a borderline 7-9 and nine team or 9-7 team or in the middle. They could be an 8-8 eight and eight team. I'm not a big fan of Adam Gase. I, I think I love what Joe Douglas has done in the offseason. He had one of the best drafts. I love rebuilding the offensive line. You're going to see a complete different Sam Donald. I know a lot of people keep saying that Sam Donald's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. Let's see this year when he has somebody in front of him. Le'Veon Bell's going to be a better player this year. I think they're going to have more weapons. And if Denzel Mims gets healthy, I think he's going to be a fun player to watch. And I like Crowder. I like Jamison Crowder and Herndon. These guys got to stay healthy and stay on the field to help Sam. And this is a good defense. I, I like Greg Williams. I think he's a great defensive coordinator. But I-, I, st- I still think they're a pretender this year. Next year will be the year of the Jets. I think that transition, all those draft picks that they have in the draft stock, I think they're going to be a scary good team in the future with Joe Douglas and the future new head coach, Miami Dolphins.
0: Miami Dolphins, I think they're a pretender. I'm not a big believer in in Tua. I think he's going to be a a very good talent, but I don't think that he's the premier quarterback. He's not going to change the way this game is played. Uh, You look at him, he's, he's he's a slight quarterback. He's athletic. He gets around, but you can't do that in the NFL. And he's not Lamar Jackson. So I don't see him staying healthy long enough to, to lead this team. They have Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick on his own is going to get you five games. He's going to steal you some games that you probably shouldn't have shouldn't have won uh, just because of how he plays the game. But Brian Flores has done a, a great job. Last year, he did a great job of bringing that team back from the dead. They, they had a terrible start. He brought them back. They should have probably won that game against the Jets. And, and I think that they're a well-coached team. Uh, They have a great attitude, but I think that this is not the year for them, and they're a pretender.
1: I absolutely agree with you. I think they're a pretender, and I don't trust Tua. I think that hip injury is going to affect him for the rest of his career. When you're a quarterback and you're throwing with your hips – That's a huge problem when you're moving on the run and you're you're getting chased by a 365-pound lineman. So I think they're pretenders. I like Brian Flores. I think he's a good coach. Even though their defense is going to be better in the acquisitions that they made in the offseason, and their draft was very, very good, I just don't think these guys are going to develop as fast as people think. So I think they're pretenders. The AFC South, Houston Texans.
0: Houston is going to be uh, definitely uh, a contender. You know They they do have a great defense. They're, They're coached well. Um, obviously, one of the premier quarterbacks in the NFL. Listen, they—they they lost DeAndre Hopkins. You know, arguably the best receiver in the NFL. He is. But, but at the same time, I, I do think that with them being in that division, with them having that defense, if JJ Watt can stay healthy. Uh, this is a contender.
1: Oh, they're a pretender. I do not like O'Brien. I think he's going to be fired at the end of the year, and I, I won't be so surprised if Deshaun Watson gets killed in the beginning of the season. I don't trust this offensive line, and I don't trust this defense. This defense is aging. I just don't trust this team, and getting rid of your best offensive player for nothing makes absolutely no sense when you bring in David Johnson, who hasn't been good in three years. So they are a pretender.
0: How many years have we said that Bill O'Brien's going to get fired?
1: I know, I know. And <laughs> they end up winning the division every single year. I know, year. but this is a different division this year. I think Tennessee's better, and I think Indianapolis is better.
0: Tennessee! Oh, they're the real deal. Oh, yeah. They're I definitely so a contender. Too. You know, Derrick Henry is the best running back in the NFL. One of the best and probably top three offensive lines in the NFL. The other one's in the division as well. Uh, but their defense is strong. You know, they have some playmakers on, on defense. I really do like what Rabel has done with his team. They've really taken on his attitude, his tenacity, and his transferred over to the field. So I'm going to say they're a contender.
1: First of all, buddy, Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in the league. But, uh... <laughs> The Tennessee Titans are a good team. I don't like Tannehill. I don't think he's a good quarterback, but when you have a running game, an offensive line as good as they do, they can dominate. You saw what they did in the playoffs going all the way to the AFC title game. I think they're going to still be a scary team. They do have weapons on the outside, which we saw last year later in the season. I'm questioning what this defense could be in the big game. Last year in the big game, they kind of fell apart. I want to see them be consistent all the time. They are one of the best defenses in the league, one of the top ten defensive teams in the league. Let's see what this team can do when the playoffs come around. I think they're a playoff team. I think they're going to win the division. I think they're really, really good. They're a contender, Tennessee Titans. Indianapolis Colts.
0: Indianapolis Colts, that's a tough one. That's borderline for me, but I guess I'm going to weigh on the side of of – contender. Phillip Rivers, he still has a rocket arm. He still can make every throw. He's a good leader. And when you add him to the probably the best offensive line in the league, Quentin Nelson is the best guard in the NFL. And, you know, I think that they have enough talent to get them by. They have the best tackling linebacker. And Darius Leonard, this guy is all over the field. He's a great leader. Uh, he's physical. I think he should have probably been up for player of the year last year. Definitely gets overlooked quite a bit. But I'm going to say that they're a contender just because I believe Phillip Rivers will, will play some better ball this year.
1: They can win the division. They're a contender. They have a great offensive line. You were talking about uh, Austin. You also talk about Phillip Rivers as a veteran quarterback. They have not played behind uh, a veteran quarterback in the last, I I would say last two or three years. Or when you talk about what this team needed, they needed a quarterback that can make the throws. They got one. They got a window thrower. And they can run the ball. They have one of the best wide receivers in T.Y. Hilton. This is an explosive team. And they added to their defensive defensive depth. So I, I think they're gonna be very, very good. A lot of people think that they're not gonna be a playoff team. I think they're gonna be a very, very talented, fast flying team this year in the AFC. Jacksonville Jaguars.
0: Shout out to my to my man Gardner Minshew, a fellow Washington State Cougar. Uh-oh. I gotta give him gotta give him a shout out. But you know, with that being said, I, I think they're a pretender. Uh you, you know, you don't lose uh, Yannick Ngakwe, your best pass rusher, one of the premier players. You don't lose Calais Campbell. Uh, you don't lose Leonard Fournette and come out a winner. I think that this is the team that underachieved last year, and I, and I think that that is going to even get worse this year. So I'm gonna go pretender.
1: Oh, go. they're definitely a pretender. You know what they're trying to get? They're trying to get Trevor Lawrence. They're trying to get the number one pick. They want to. And as much as you like your your quarterback friend over there, he's not gonna be the starting quarterback for them much longer. This is a rebuilding team. I just think they're gonna be really really bad. They're gonna be the worst team in the NFL. They're a pretender, absolutely. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we do these segments. Every single week, we call Eric's segment, A Cup of Coal, and we're going to call my segment, Mark It Up, here on The Weekend Crunch. I see you bobbing your head, Eric. That's what I'm talking about. Little West Coast. Tupac Shakur. Greatest rapper of all time. I don't care what anybody says. I know I'm from New York. Greatest rapper of all time. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Tonight, after the Islander game, brought to you by 103.9 L.I. News Radio Network and the Worldwide Sports Radio Network and New York Sports Team Magazine. As you guys know, we do these segments every single week. First off, a cup of coal.
2: A cup of coal. A cup of
1: coal.
0: My cup of coal this week is, you know, with all these talks with the NBA uh, playoffs and who's going to go where in free agency, my cup of coal is NBA players just jumping ship and going to the new organizations and creating these these so-called three-man monsters. I, I'm really tired of it. You know, when you, when you think about Giannis Antetokounmpo and, and him leaving the Milwaukee Bucks, my view is, why would you lead the Milwaukee Bucks? They're a team that's on the rise. They have a great player in Middleton. They're, they're doing everything to to accommodate you. Uh, they can pay you the max amount of money. I, I think that back in the day, I, I respected those guys who who can build a winner. You know, the, the Kobe Bryant, who, yes, they got Shaq in free agency, but at the same time, Kobe was there. He was going to be there. He didn't ever ask for a trade. He wanted to build a winner in Los Angeles. And in Michael Jordan the same way. He got his butt kicked by the Pistons. He got his butt kicked by the Pacers. And what did he do? He got stronger. He made himself better and he created a winner. You know, when these guys want to just jump in and hop onto the next trendy team. And, you know, if you're Giannis, you want to go hop onto the Miami heat who are a great team and have a great culture already. Uh, I, that bothers me. That bothers me. Why not? Uh, what happened to the pride? What happened to guys who, who are going to take it up on their shoulders, build a winner and, and be responsible for a great organization. So that's my cup of cold.
1: And my segment is Mark It Up. We're putting them all together today on this segment. We call this segment, again, Mark It Up.
0: This is Mark It Up.
1: Eric, you know what really bothers me is professional teams not respecting some of the former players. We talk about Tom Seaver. How long did it take the New York Mets to put a statue in front of Citi Field of one of their greatest pitchers? This is the problem in professional sports. The Chicago Bulls did it with Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan, as soon as retired, they put a big, huge statue in front of the, the Chicago Bulls stadium. Here's the thing. When you're one of the greatest players of that organization, those teams should respect the the past, and, and respect the future of some of the players that we've seen come in and out of professional sports. We talk about the Jets. In in MetLife Stadium, do we see any statues of some of the ex-Jets? Uh, the Wesley Walkers, or I know the Jets don't have that many great players, and, and we could say that. We have one that's on our show right now, but they're, the problem with the New York Jets and the problem with some of these organizations is they don't respect some of their past. And I think that these professional teams have to look at the big picture now and try to represent their culture, their their organization, and, and not only put spat, statues. If you don't want to put a statue up, put posters up of some of your old teams. You look at the Yankees. You you look at what the Yankees do. They have a museum. They have a uh, Monument Park. I want to see teams do that. Cincinnati did that with the Big Red Machine. I want to see all these organizations respect the past. That is my story and my segment for Market Up. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, the last segment of the show, what do we call this, Speedy? Crunch time. Here on the Weekend Crunch. Wow, Speedy bringing it back. West Coast Mafia, baby. Ice Cube. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. We are live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. It's been a great show. No guests this week because we had a lot of sports to talk about. Next week we'll have special guests. But as you guys know, this is the last segment of the show. We call this, Speedy, Crunch Time
0: it's time for crunch time alrighty
2: so first one for crunch time this week we just heard Leonard Fournette got cut by the Jacksonville Jaguars signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers so buy or sell Leonard Fournette will outrush the entire Jaguars team
0: I'm going to buy that one. I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be playing from behind quite a bit. They're not going to be able to commit to the run as much. And, you know, Leonard Fournette is going to be a great weapon for, for, um, excuse me, the Buccaneers. So I think that he will outrush the Jacksonville Jaguars.
1: If Leonard Fournette stays healthy, he will outrush anybody on the Jacksonville Jaguars. But that's the question. Leonard Fournette has not been healthy for... For, really for the last four years he's been in a league. If he could stay healthy, he's absolutely going to help that that uh, offensive line, especially the power running that they need. It's going to help Tom Brady. It's going to help Tom Brady uh, plant his feet and throw the ball. So I'm going to say if uh, Leonard Fournette stays healthy, he will help and he will outrun the Jacksonville Jaguars. If Brody Van Wagenen gets
2: fired with new ownership, manager Luis Rojas will go with him.
0: No, I, I think I think Rojas will stay. I, I think it's too soon to, to pull the trigger on that one. So. Uh, I'm going to sell that
1: one. I'm going to buy it. I think if Brody Van Wagenen goes, everybody else with his team is going to go with him. As And I don't blame Roas for the t- the team this year. This is an, a short season. It just so happens it was COVID-19. But Brody Van Wagenen has been an absolute catastrophe for the New York Mets. He hasn't benefited. The Mets haven't benefited besides J.D. Davis. So I believe that if – Brody Van Wagenen is gone when Steve Cohen takes over the team. I believe every single one of the management is going to be fired as well. All righty. Buy or sell. The Miami Heat will beat the winner
2: of the Celtics and Raptors in a potential Eastern Conference Finals. We <laughs> you
1: know where you're going with this.
0: I'm, I'm going to buy that one. <laughs> you, you know, I, I listen, I, I love this team. I love the way they play. I love the the chemistry that they have, the confidence, the, the toughness that they have. I, I'm going to say that they are going to beat either the Celtics or the Raptors right now?
1: I'm going to sell. If it's the Celtics, I if it's the Raptors, they will. If if, if it's the Celtics, I think the Celtics are a better-built team. They're better team defensively. Uh, Kemba Walker is a star. Tatum looks like he's going to be a superstar for many, many years to come. They have a lot of depth, the Celtics do, and I think they'll be able to compete offensively and defensively against the Miami Heat, so I'm going to sell that one. All right. Buy or sell? With Aroldis Chapman struggling right now, Zach Britton
2: at some point during the regular season, the rest of the regular season, will become the Yankees' closer.
0: All right, I'm, I'm going to buy that one. I, th- I think he is going to be the, the Yankees' closer, and they're going to make some they're going to make some hay in the playoffs.
1: Mm, I'm going to sell that one. I think Chapman. I, everything that we've seen Aaron Boone do over the last couple of years, he's stuck with every single player that he has. I think he's going to stay with Aroldis Chapman. I, I think Aroldis Chapman is a better closer than Britton. Britton has played well this year, and roll. Chapman's right now in a funk. So I'm going to sell that one. Alrighty.
2: The saints, if they trade Alvin Kamara will completely miss the playoffs.
0: I'm going to sell that, you know, I think with or without Alvin Kamara, this is a deadly offense. I mean, Drew Brees is the, the most accurate quarterback that, that I've ever seen. Uh, he has a lot of weapons, Um, you know, their defense is just continuing to get stronger. And so I I think that I'm going to go ahead and sell that one. They're going to make the playoffs either way.
1: I'm going to buy it. Alvin Kamara has been one of their most explosive offensive weapons that they've had. And as good as Drew Brees has been in the last couple of years, he hasn't been as consistent the last two years. If you look at his numbers, the two years before this, uh, he was one of the most explosive uh, uh, quarterbacks in the league. So, I, Alvin Kamara is one of the best running backs, one of the most underrated co- running backs in the league. I love what he does on the field. He's a leader, and he does a lot of things that other running backs can't do. Find a way on the outside. They can use him as a wide receiver. They can use him inside. He is explosive in every kind of way. If they trade him, I'm going to say they're not going to make the playoffs, so I'm going to buy that. All right. Eric might
2: throw a curveball on this one, too. Somebody will break up the LALA Western Conference Finals that everyone thinks is going to happen. um listen
0: I I I do I'm I'm gonna sell that one I I do (laughs) think that the Lakers are going to bounce back and and end up you know getting over on on the uh the Houston Rockets I I think that the Clippers they have enough talent to, to get through I mean they have the sixth man of the year they have the former sixth man of the year they have the former MVP uh you know they 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 are going to be able to put something together and it would be great to see uh it's not going to be in L.A., but it would be cool to see for bragging rights, <laughs> L.A. versus L.A.
1: Well, first of all, I, all of a sudden you're throwing James Harden under the bus. I mean, I'm not throwing him under born, the bus. I'm just I'm just born keeping it real. James <laughs> hey, I,
0: hey, I just keep it real, man. Listen, Harden is a great player. But you look at, you know, the, the team, you look at the team surrounding him and, and what the Lakers have have built. I mean, there's there's at the end of the day, after a seven game span, the cream will rise to the top. And I believe it's going to be the Lakers.
1: I'm going to buy it. I I think that one of these L.A. teams is going to get knocked off. One of these teams are going to fall to a team that is not better than them. Just have more creativity in, in the playoffs that we've seen so far in the semifinals. I'm not saying that the Lakers or the L.A. Clippers aren't the better team in their, in their series. I just think that when it comes to the playoffs, when you're not working together as a team, it shows. And in the half-court game, it's not a full-court press we've seen over in the regular season. It's different in the playoffs. You've got to play defense. In, and you've seen with the Lakers and the Clippers in both their series in the last couple of series, they're not playing team defense. And that's a huge problem, especially being in the semif- semifinals. I'm going to buy that. I think one of the L.A. teams is going to get knocked out. Kenny Atkinson will be the new head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. I'm going to sell
0: it. I'm going to sell it. You know, at the beginning of the show, I was talking about candidates that I thought may be better fits for the Brooklyn Nets. And, and I'm going to stick with those guys. You know, you look at Ty Lu, you look at Mark Jackson, who built the now Golden State Warriors that won all these championships. Um, Sam Cassell, who's been a great assistant coach for many years. Um, I mean, Greg Popovich just put his house on the market in San Antonio. So <laughs> I, I think that there's a lot more candidates, a lot better, more qualified candidates. Uh, to to get that Philly job.
1: Oh, it's Kenny Atkinson. I'm going to buy that. I think Kenny Atkinson is great player development. He's good at player development. You look at the players that they have right now. They're all young. They're rebuilding right now. They don't know where they're going with Ben Simmons. If you bring in Kenny Atkinson, you keep Ben Simmons because I think Kenny. If there's anybody that can help Ben Simmons with his shot in his game, it's Kenny Atkinson. Ask any player that's worked under him. Look at the players that and uh, who he's played who's played under him with the Knicks when he was an assistant coach, and look what he's done with the Brooklyn Nets. So I am going to buy that i think he's going to the 76 i said that the moment he got fired i think that
2: would be a perfect fit as well buy or sell Buddha baker will remain the highest paid safety in football for the rest of the season
0: i'm gonna buy that you know you, you know you typically don't hear about blockbuster deals uh once the season starts it's typically you know in the off season, right before the season during training camp or you know immediately following the season so i'm, I'm gonna stick with buda baker being the highest-paid safety.
1: Oh, he's definitely going to be the highest-paid safety, but you know Crybaby over there in Seattle is going to be asking for money over there next year as well. I know you don't want to hear it, but he's going to get his money, and then... Oh, I I know he is. Oh, he's definitely going to get his money. The question is, is he going to be the same player over there in Seattle? That's going to be the question. Only Jamal Adams is going to figure that out, but Buda Baker is absolutely going to be the highest-paid safety this year. You will not see any contracts this season for the safety position moving forward, so I will buy that. All right, buy
2: or sell. The Marlins trading for Starling Marte will help them sneak into
1: the playoffs. Mm. Uh,
0: I, I'm going to go ahead and sell. I, I don't <laughs> think one player makes you or, or breaks you. Uh, so I'm going to go ahead and sell it.
1: I'm going to buy it. I think the the Marlins are they're playing good baseball right now. Uh, and and they're a better team than people think. They played very well in, early in the season. Kind of fell off a little bit. Derek Jeter. Say whatever you want about Derek Jeter and what this team is and what this team is going and what he did over the last couple of years trading away all his top talent and he traded away a lot of top talent. Uh, he's finding talent right now, and they they have a lot of good prospects that we've seen so far on that team. So I'm going to say I'm going to buy that.
2: Right now they're currently in the first wild card spot, 16 and 17, below 500, but in the first wild card mm-hmm. spot. So from one Florida team to another, we'll go to the Buccaneers, buy or sell with playing with Tom Brady this year, Chris Godwin, a contract year for him will end up being paid like a top five receiver at the end of the year.
0: Top five receiver. I'm going to sell that. I'm, I'm going to sell it. I mean, he's, he's not one of the premier receivers in the league. I, th- I think he's a phenomenal talent. Uh, he's going to get a lot of opportunity with Tom Brady, uh, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna sell this one. I don't think he'll become one of the top five.
1: I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it, but I, the way these NFL contracts are going, and if if Godwin has a great season with Tom Brady and he has thirteen, fourteen hundred yards as a second guy. I think another team is going to pay him like a top five player. So I'm going to buy that. There are teams like the Jets that are looking for that number one guy. Uh, and and they're, they're still searching. Denzel Mims, we don't know what he is. We don't know what any of these players are. There are other teams that are looking for top-notch wide receivers. And Juju Smith is another guy that's going to be a free agent soon. So, And we were talking about him last week. So I'm going to buy that. I think he's going to make a lot of money next year if he has a good season. All right.
2: Last one. In a year with obviously no preseason and no training camp because of COVID-19, this year's NFL MVP will not be a quarterback.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna sell that one. You know, typically the the, the best player in the league is the quarterback. Um, I, I know it won't be a rookie quarterback, uh, but it, but it will be. I, I do think you know you you have too many great quarterbacks in this league who have a ton of experience. You know this this you know having the off is not going to make or break their season.
1: I'm I'm also going to sell, and I'm going to agree with you, Eric. It's usually a quarterback unless a wide receiver or running back has an explosive year. And we saw a running back do do what McCaffrey did last year. We've seen a wide receiver do uh, what over there with uh, the New Orleans Saints, what he did mm-hmm. last year. So we've seen a lot of players have breakout seasons and didn't win uh, the MVP. So... I just think that when you look at the big picture, it's always about the quarterback. He's the leader. He's the general on the field, and they like to give the MVP to a quarterback. So I, I disagree. I, I will sell that. Yeah, Michael Thomas had an insane year. Michael Thomas, Drew, yes. Drew Brees had without his name half the name. year. He's Sean Johnson's nephew. But that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. I'll tell you, Eric, we've had so many great shows. Last week with Kevin Weeks was phenomenal. This was a great show. If you guys like content, me and Eric deliver it. Eric, do you have anything to say before we go?
0: No, nah, you know, listen, this is a, like I said, the last weekend before the NFL season, I'm excited for, for the league to start. You know, this is the sport. This is America's game. Uh, this is going to, this country is going to be in, in, in higher spirits. Once this NFL gets kicked off. So I'm I'm excited to get into the season with you.
1: I am so excited for the NFL season. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. There's a lot of people that aren't going to watch the NFL season because of everything that's going on in the world. I am absolutely going to be sitting still this year. Last year, I didn't watch a lot of football because I've been so busy with the network. But this year, the Jets, I'm excited for the Jets this year. I want to see Sam Donald's development, the offensive line. I'm going to be watching you, Mr. Eric Coleman, my partner over here, not only on the pregame show, but the postgame show and everything that you're doing, man. I'm so happy for you. You're, you're doing great things, not only for you, but for your family. I love it um, and happy that you're moving to New York and Long Island very, very soon. So that's going to be good so we can be working together in person. But uh, that's it for our show, ladies and gentlemen. The Weekend Crunch is live every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, L.I. News Radio Network, 103.9. We will be back next week talking sports. We're going to have special guests next week, so stay tuned for that. Go Islanders tonight. Uh, Come on. I want, to see them. I want to see them win game number seven. This is ridiculous. It shouldn't have went to a game seven. I trust in Barry Trotz. I trust in uh, what this team is doing and Lou Lamorello. And hopefully we see the Islanders in the Eastern Conference Championship against the Tampa Bay Lightning. We will be back next week at 7 p.m. Yes, 7 p.m. if there isn't an Islander game here on the Weekend Crunch.